0: Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Entering in this morning into a new study, the whole church. I'm super excited about this, all the women, all the men and their studies. Um, and as well as here on Sunday morning, we are going to spend the whole year, at least here on Sundays... Uh, we we won't probably finish till May sometime. We're going to take a deep dive into the book of Ephesians. I'm super excited about this um, for us for many many reasons. Um, but my prayer is, and I hope you pray with me, that this book will um, awaken us that this year two two primary things awaken us to the glory in what it is to be part of church. And the second thing I hope that we see in this book is that Paul writes about is that it will unify, that it will bring a sense of great unity inside our church family and awaken us to um, the glory of the gospel of what Jesus has done in a powerful awakening way. It, it, there's, and I'll get into it a little bit this morning, but we're in a really interesting season as a culture, as a nation, and we need unity in the church. We need a restoration of what God has done through Jesus for us. And for a restoration, as Paul's speaking to the church universal here in Ephesians, um, wow, the importance of church um, for us as individuals and for the nation, even in the culture we exist. And so I hope you'll pray with me as we dive in on this book. A couple other little things. I'm a broken record on this, but I just don't want to get old-fashioned on you. I encourage you, bring your paper Bible to church with you. Turn off the electronics. Bring a journal with you ready to hear from the Lord. Whatever he might say to you in the midst of right, our study. Um, my other things, we're going to be, this morning, we're covering one verse. Um, and I, I hope that you will, through this year, I just encourage you, deep dive into this book. Six chapters, read it, reread it, sink deep into it. Ask the Lord to reveal. In chapter 1, we'll get to it, where Paul's prayer for us, for the whole church was that we would be given by the Father a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And so I pray that as we as a church go into this book, that the Spirit of God would do just that. That He would send His Holy Spirit and enlighten us and give us divine wisdom in revelation, fresh revelation from His Word about the knowledge of our great God. Um, So I hope you will journey with us on that, and if you have any questions, um, what I hope we'll do with all of us in this study is it'll be a unifying uh, time of us just diving in together, asking questions, sharing testimony, right, of what God is is doing as we uh, dive into Ephesians together. All right, with that said, let me just pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, overwhelm us. Um, awaken us, Lord, as, as this book says, awaken, O oh, sleeper. Lord, rock us out of our just material, horizontal view, Lord. Um, How small are our thoughts of you, Lord, and of life and of everything you have for us. Awaken us with grand thoughts, glorious thoughts. Overwhelm us, Lord, with your love and the power you've shown us through the gospel Lord, to redeem us and save us, Lord. Holy Spirit, pray that you would move. You'd be with us now. Give us ears to hear, Lord, your word. Journey with us, Lord, this year through this book. Let your word sink deep within us. Give us fresh revelation, Lord, about what this means for us, for this land, for the world. Uh, Lord, for your glory, God. Father, even this morning, I pray that your spirit would move. Lord, you know where every heart is. You know what every soul is dealing with here this morning. Uh, Father, like your word says, I pray just like a sharp sword in each of our souls. Come, Lord. Pierce in, Lord, deeply to us. Change us. Awaken us. Meet us, Lord, this morning. Lord, for your glory. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I am not going to spend too much time on a lot of background. As we get into the text, I'll bring the, the applicable background of Ephesus and everything going on. Um, I'm going to just dive into the text um, this morning, but just a couple little things to get us there. First of all, the book of Ephesians, uh, many have said it was Calvin's favorite book. I mean, it's it's a it's summary of, of really all of Paul's theology in many ways. It's a circular letter. It was not just written to the Ephesians, and we'll, I'll come back to that later in this book study, uh, but it was written to a bunch of churches in Minor, Ephesus being one of them, and it was to travel, go from church to church as a message. This book, Paul does not speak like he does in Corinthians and others to the specific local church. Every time the church is mentioned, he's speaking church, capital C, all of us, the universal church, the house of God around the world, among all all nations. And, and that's an important part of this. The other aspect of this, I'm going to take a little different outline and emphasis on this than probably most of the commentaries um, maybe that you're looking at. And I'm going to take a heavenly places perspective five times, and we're going to look at it this morning does Paul mention the idea of the heavenly realm? You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And throughout the book, from the beginning, chapter 1 to chapter 6, he mentions this language. This is the most mystical of all his writings of the New Testament. By mystical, what I mean is heavenly. It forces, a, it as a Western church, This really challenges us, and this is why a lot of commentators in the book, we just pass over this idea of heavenly places, and we shove that off as that's something for ah, when we get to heaven. That's something later on, and we don't really let it sink in what we have now to live in. And so we're going to dive in with this perspective and kind of look at a larger outline of this book to the church and to recover, hopefully, the, the Spirit's help, the, the, not only just a new eyes on who we are as saints of God, but also what the church is and the church's role throughout history um, in God's eyes. So with that background, let me just uh, dive in this morning. I want to read the text for us, and uh, I'm going to read through verse 3, um, but we're only going to look at verse 1 this morning. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Wow. We'll get to that verse. We're going to spend a lot of time on verse three. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's overwhelming. So, um, this morning, I want us to look at this question What's holding us back, folks? What's holding us back from being who and everything that God made us to be and as followers of Jesus saved us to be? What's holding us back? What's holding us back from embracing these promises we're going to look at, embracing these things that are yours in the heavenly places? And in the places of your own soul and my own soul, what's holding us back? And You can go read all back to, as I read all kind of through the ages, the modern, you know, uh, commentary writers, pastors and theologians, all the way back to the church fathers over and over again. It's the same thing every generation is, is the plead of, oh, if we would just look at ourselves like the text God talks about us. Oh, what would happen if our identity, what we have thought about all the time, was what God had to say about us rather than what the world is saying about us. And, Folks, if there is ever a time we need to restore a healthy sense of identity of who we are, it is now the church, and not just, and if we're foggy and not living in the full blessings of who God says we are, then as a whole church, we're sure not going to carry out the blessings and the role that God has for us, right, as a church, as a whole. Um, we, uh, before coming here 23 years ago, which, wow, it's crazy to think about, um, we were in Atlanta, Georgia, serving at a church, and, uh, I uh, put a blog out several, a couple months ago, I guess, just honoring our pastor there. Many of you have heard Dr. Charles Stanley. Um, he passed away this last spring, um, and we were his singles. I was his singles adult pastor at his church there um, with Andy and um, the rest of them. I, uh, <clears throat> when we got to town, it was about a year into it, uh, we had just had Megan, I believe. That's all we had at the time, and... Um, and I remember Michelle and I had dinner one <clears throat> one time, and she said, Hey, we need to, we need to have Dr. Stanley over for dinner. And I was like, Are you crazy? You know, I'm one of like hundreds of pastors on the staff. He's, he's, he's a busy man. I, you know, he's world famous, right? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, <laughs> and she was just like, So? You know, and, and uh, we invite him over. I'm like, You can't do that. I'll be like, You know. Anyway, long story short is, sure enough, she calls up his assistant and said, We want to invite him over for dinner. We just moved into our little house, and, um, and sure enough, about two days later, he left too. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. Well, what are we going to cook? What are you going to do? You know? Um, and um, he came over by himself, and he was just Megan at the table, and, um, and we had an amazing evening together. Now, here's the funny part about the whole story is that word got out. There was, I think, 200, who knows how many people on staff big mega church um and the word got out was like hey did you have did you have dinner with dr stanley and how did that happen how, how could you have dinner with this guy and uh and it's just and it just you can just see how it goes right and over and over again the thing was like hey what's going on how did you how'd you do this and my wife just called and asked him for dinner And folks, I always think about that story because of my own response to that is, do you realize the access we have as children of God to have communion with God, dinner with God and experience his presence and his promises in our life boldly going before him? And we don't have, because the scripture says, we don't ask. We just don't ask. And so we sit around, and what happens is that we think, well, we could never, right? My he would never come to our house. And we do the same thing with God. I can't ask him that. I can't keep pressing in on that. And folks, I want to just dive in on this first verse this morning and hopefully challenge us all. Man what is holding us back. From the promises to live. As people of God. Saints. Set apart wholly for God. By the will of God. And the promises of God. And so the first thing here. Is just to look at Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus. To the, by the will of God. This is how Paul he begins his letter, right, to the whole church. He he's say, I'm introducing you, I'm Paul. I'm the apostle by the will of God. Um, and you could go back to the book of Acts, and you'll see chapter 8 and chapter 9. We see Paul, um, those of you not familiar with his history, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, trained under one of the top Jewish. He was the, the zealot of all zealots for God. And, um, and because... That he um, was so self-absorbed is that that went into a really ugly thing of self-righteousness and he persecuted the church. Uh, he was the, the number one enemy of the early church at the time until Jesus got a hold of him, right? And he was on his way to Damascus. He had some letters. He was going to f- root out who are the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus in Damascus. He's going to take them back to Jerusalem, put them in prison, um, And boy, on that ride, he was the one who was sitting by Stephen, uh, when they stoned Stephen to death in Jerusalem, uh, and and thought it was righteous before God uh, in his zeal, his self-imposed self-righteousness. Until on the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up, shined the light upon him, opened his eyes, and um, he was blind for three days, went to Damascus, and then one of the disciples one of the church members in the church in Damascus God comes to him prophetically and says hey I need you to go over here to the uh, the road straight you need to go find this guy Saul of Tarsus and I need you to pray for him pray over him fill him with the spirit pray that he be filled with the spirit and because he's blind and he is a chosen instrument of mine I'm calling him to reach all the Gentiles the Jews kings stand before kings And to show him how much he's got to suffer for me. Um, And so when Paul says by the will of God, he is referring back to his story how God came to him and saved him. And at the same time he saved and opened his eyes, he gave him this radical calling, right, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, And an apostle that was going to have to suffer greater than anyone we know of in the New Testament for the cause of Christ. That was his calling, right? And, um, of course, Ananias, you know, when God told him that, he says, God, I don't think so. This is the enemy. We've heard about this guy. He's bad news, right? And the faith he did. And he came and prayed for Paul. His eyes were opened and the rest is history, right? Um, There's two things I want us to think about here. And folks, I hope that you'll think deeply about these spiritual truths as we get into this. All spiritual advances, all spiritual advances in my life and in your life begin with embracing by faith revelation from God and what he's done through Christ. Everything, any advance you want with God, it begins first by getting A vision of God and his truth and his word and what he's done. Who he is. Not what I need. Not what I think I need. Not what my problem is. Not this self, morbidly self, um, you know, uh, focus that we have today. It is getting our eyes on him. And what he says about me, what he says about the world, every spiritual advance of any depth, it begins there. It begins with the pursuit of setting our eyes on him, who he is. Um, and again, whether you have a radical encounter like Paul, um, or something maybe less radical, every event in our lives, from our salvation all the way through, it begins by encountering God first and his truth. That's really important to understand. Especially in light of all of our culture today that does everything, even in the church, to set your problem, who you are, what your issue is, at the center of the focus. That will only spiral you into bondage. You will not get set free or have spiritual advance, nor will I, unless there's a radical shift until we come, right, in a pursuit of putting God first. Laying our eyes, right, first on Him. If we minimize the radical supernatural nature of our salvation, we will minimize its impact in our life. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at Paul's and say, Wow, Jesus didn't show up to me and blind my eyes, and I didn't have any radical conversion like that, so uh, I'm just kind of a lesser Christian. Now, folks, this is so important to understand. No salvation. No one can convert anybody. For anyone to walk with Jesus, it takes a supernatural encounter with the living God. The move of the Spirit of God in a person's soul, awakening them to that they are a sinner and in need of God. And a revelation of Jesus is exactly who he says he is, the Savior and Lord of the world only god only the, that's a supernatural thing no convincing and preaching no study no mystical experience it, in a, it's a supernatural work of god and god in choosing it and moving and saving his children everybody's different everybody's unique and so what i want to encourage you with is though paul's experience was radical right is your if you know jesus don't minimize the supernatural radical nature of what god did in redeeming you as colossians which is a sister book written before ephesians but to the same area of churches colossians 1:13 says that he has rescued you he's rescued me out of the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son the kingdom of light don't minimize the radical nature of what has happened in your life if you've met jesus And folks, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus or you're not sure, is you're in the right place, is when the word of God goes out, that's how God saves. We hear the word and something inside our soul goes, I want that. I'm drawn to that. Until Jesus reveals and becomes real and we confess him, right, as Lord and Savior in our life. And so I begin with this question of how, how are we going to get beyond what's holding us back. I think a lot of the times what's holding us back is, is that we minimize what has happened in our life. A supernatural radical event, if you're a follower of Jesus, folks, there is no non-radical salvation, and here's the other principle, spiritual principle to understand is the greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. Now, I'm, I just give you this to view, especially in light of all the stuff on the internet today. All the, the, the so-called prophets and all the people speaking out there of these grand experiences. I'm here to tell you right now, if somebody speaks of a grand experience with God, their life and their calling better match that experience. Otherwise, flee from them. Does that make sense? Paul's life, his experience was, was that nature of a radical because of the responsibility. God said, you now are the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for me. His life lined up with the magnitude of what happened on that Damascus road. And so when you have people speak of all this stuff out there today, just with a check mark. If somebody has a radical experience, if their life of holiness and how they're living and their calling in their life doesn't match it, there's a problem. Big problem. Beware. It's a really important spiritual thing to understand. Also, it just puts in perspective in our own life. Right? Is that what he's done in each of our lives is radical. And the question now for me is, well, what am I doing with that supernatural experience? God's saving me. And a lot of the times, what happens in renewal is we have to step back and remember what He's done. And this is why Paul, all along in his life, he would step back and remember, right, uh, how God saved him, what God did for him. So the next thing here is he begins with this address to the church, to the saints, to the saints. In Ephesus. To the saints in Aspen. Folks I just ask you. Do you see yourself as a saint? Has the church you've grown up in. Taught you your identity. Is a saint. Not a sinner and saint. Saint. Saved by the grace and the glory of God. To be set apart for God. A child of God. Holy and set apart For him under his promises and under his glory. Have you been taught your identity? You're a saint. What's holding us back? What's holding us back? This word means agios, holy ones. God cannot have fellowship, right? Scripture is real clear. Without holiness, no one will see God. And this is the glory of the gospel. And what the Holy Spirit does, right, in, in moving us and, and giving us by His grace a whole new standing before God as holy ones, as saints, not based on our self-righteous works or anything, based solely upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I want that grace. I want that standing. But you know what? We've lived in decades now of church where what we have been so shy away from Calling each other saints and living us because you know we don't want to offend anybody. We We don't want anybody to think we're better than they are. If you've been radically saved by Jesus, you are set apart from the world. You're supposed to be different. The church is supposed to be different. You're not to spend all your time trying to bridge the gap and be relevant and be like the world. The church has bought a lie and we as a country are reaping the consequence of that lie, right? That says to be effective, I have to be like that out there. When salvation clearly says God's called you out of that to be something wholly different, set apart for him. And so the question is, do people see us that way? Oh, I don't want want to come across as judgmental. I want to come across as different. I don't want to come across as that Christ follower thing. That's what he's called you to. That's what this identity is all about. And so we have a lot of ministry today. We have a lot of church talk out there that, that tries to build such a gap to make people feel good out there that we minimize who we are. And all we're going to do is water everything down. That's exactly where we're at today. Is because in the church today, we are not walking like who we are set apart. That's what that means to be holy for Him. You're His now. He redeemed you by the precious blood of the Lamb. You belong to Him, not this world. And our will and our emotions and, 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 and my mind and my body, it, it's all His. He's redeemed it. So I ask you, do you see yourself as a saint? Or have you bought this lie, this gobbledygook, watered down crap out there that's. Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a. You know, it was that old bumper sticker, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's no just about it. You're a saint. Your sin has been dealt with at the cross. It's the most glorious thing in all the world. Your shame, your sin, it has been covered, not by my religious works, but by the glory of Jesus redeeming children. And it's, it, this is the glorious message that is available to everyone, that everybody needs. It's the only thing that brings true freedom to the soul of someone. It's the glory of the gospel. Right? I was in the world. I was lost. We're going to get chapter 2. It talks about clearly who we were. And God saved us out of that. We're into a whole nother domain. Whole nother family. Whole nother identity. How we view our bodies, folks, intimately reveals what's going on inside our soul. And so don't get all, we shouldn't get all huffy and puffy about the culture today, the whole abortion thing or, or the alphabet thing or everything going on out there. Um, is their doing. They're responding simply because of who they are. They're a product of the world. And in bondage to the world, a saint, when you're called out of that, right, he says to honor God with your body. Your body belongs to him, holy, set apart from the world. Um, to be his, right, to walk with him. And this goes for our thinking, our whole, right, and entire being, right? And so do we see ourselves that way? Separate? Or are we just blending more in and and oh we can't, we can't be. We're we're more about people pleasing than we are God pleasing. That's the real issue, right? Or am I just caught up with the holiness of God? I, I need to be like him. He's called me to be conformed to the image of his son, not to be conformed to the image of the world. Um, and folks, we, the problem today is the world doesn't see the churches set apart. Um, living that way, um, they don't see the attraction of holiness. They just throw it up as a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of legalism and everything. They don't see the freedom and the joy of being set apart to him. They don't see in the church today the glory of holiness, the glory of righteousness when we close the gap between our justification where God, right, does His work in us and where we work with Him to become holy and pleasing to Him. That's what the world needs to see. That's what we need to do when we encourage each other, right, is be set apart. Our body, everything we should, it should be seen as His set apart gloriously for God. So the next question that we come to, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful, are faithful. And that word, folks, means being faithful. It means faithful. It means keeping Consistent with the word, it means uh, uh, contending for the faith. It means fighting for others' faith. It, it it's a broad word of of it just carry out your identity. Church, if you are a saint, if you know Jesus, you need to be faithful in carrying out what it looks like to be a saint, a holy one who's set apart from the world, not stained by the world. As he gets later in the book, it says, do not write, um, do those things, do not even come close to those things, be set apart. Be, set up. be faithful to the call, be faithful to right, the identity right, that um, God has given Now I'm going to jump ahead to the very last verse in Ephesians. I want to make a connection. Um, The very last book of the Bible, uh, um, Revelation, uh, Jesus gives seven letters to the churches. That is the totality of the church. The first letter is to the church of Ephesus. And um, many of you know, Uh, the the problem with that church was they said hey you guys have done a great job you know checking the false teaching and, and you got all your ducks in a row but I have this against you you've lost your first love you've lost your first love And so he says repent church. Come back and do the works you did at first. In other words when you first fell in love with Jesus. When he first radically supernaturally saved you. And that joy of what it was to walk with him. And to have your sins forgiven. And and the peace of God. and, And all of that. The grace and the joy of God. Is restore back to that moment. And how that impacted how you taught. And how you loved people. Starting in the church and then outward. Restore that. And so back to Ephesians. Listen how Paul ends this letter. The very last verse, 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. The battle for faithfulness is am I going to stay in love with Jesus? And the evidence of that is how I love you. How I love you. And the next evidence is how we love the world. Who is so confused and lost trying to find answers in, in their own self. Rather than realizing there is no answers in our self. That's morbid bondage. Until so God comes and restores this house. Right? And makes his abode in here and brings his Holy Spirit. Right, to awaken us um, and so what happened to the church in Ephesus well just a little history is Paul was there and uh, taught for two years in the hall of Tyrannus, and built up disciples there the church grew and Timothy at some point came and pastored that church this is when Paul wrote Timothy Paul's writing this actually from prison in Rome And later on even John the Apostle came and hung out in Ephesus for a while. That's where he was exiled to Patmos when he was much later in his life. Paul was dead, martyred by then as well as most of the other apostles at that time. Um, And so what happened to the church? Did they lose? They were in such spiritual battle, battling things internally that slowly that, that over awe of what God had done for them personally, it just faded. It wasn't that awe anymore. Church just became uh, kind of whatever. The following Jesus was just, oh, whatever. There was no fire left anymore. And it showed in how they engaged the mission of Christ. What's holding us back, folks? And so I just, I throw this out for all of us this morning. If this is holding us back, I throw this out just as a check. Is there anything you're holding against anyone else in this church? In other words, we are to hold zero, short accounts with each other. Out of the love of God, and we'll get to it in chapter 4, to maintain the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit of the body, Jesus. The spirit of God moves when there's unity. When we cause division, the spirit of God comes, there's division. We quench the spirit of God. And it's on all of us as Christ followers to hold short accounts. If if I have any issue with you at all, out of love I need to come to you and do everything I can to maintain peace and unity with you. So if not, if I hold something and talk to other people, all the other stuff we see, slander, gossip, all these things take off. And guess what? My heart hardens and I am now a vessel of division in the body of Christ. What's holding us back? Out of the love of God. If there is problem, if there is something I holding against someone else, may today right be the Spirit of God say, "No, I'm going to cover that. I'm going to move towards that person for the sake of the unity of the body and of the glory of God of what He's done for me. I'm going to make that hard move. I'm going to make that hard move." The final thing here is, uh, He says, "All this is in Christ." This is, just chapter, this is just verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus faithful and who are in Christ. Um, again, you can't put yourself there. It's a supernatural thing of the spirit. Only God can put us there. We're dependent on him and it's a glorious thing. the Salvation, what God graciously and lovingly has done for us. Now I just want to end this time. It takes on a little journey of where we're going to go in this, in this series. Um, in the sense of what it means to be in Christ. We're going to blow up this picture of understanding what your identity is, what my identity is, and what our identity and role as a whole church is, what God intends. And so, here we go. Right here we look at this. First chapter, verse 3, blesses God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's God's heart for you. Do you know what those spiritual blessings are? Are you purposely going after them? Are you growing in them with that kind of expectation? Do you realize that we battle, we're going to get to it in a minute? Not with flesh and blood. That our warfare, our thing is, is with, it's a spiritual. Everything ultimately is controlled in the spiritual realm. God has blessings endless for you as a saint, as a child of God to walk in and to learn and explore. Later on chapter 1, it says, and what is this? Paul's praying that we would understand this immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father in where? In heavenly places. Where did your blessings come from? Where does God want you to operate in? The heavenly places. And this power, folks, do you realize the power available to you? Are you struggling to bust a, a, a habit, a thought, or something? You have the ultimate power. God has given you everything. He's given the church everything we need for life and godliness. But are we accessing it? Are we taking hold of that power to be holy, to have the freedom that God would have in our life? Ephesians 2, 6, by the grace, you've been saved And raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What? Do you know when you were saved? Do you know your position as a saint? Do you know what it means to be seated with him, with Jesus in the heavenly places? Do you know what kind of authority goes with that? Have you been taught that? Do you know how to to take that and operate in that in ministry and in life? Do you know that in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you will judge angels one day? Do you know that you as a saint now are part of the divine counsel that that brings about change in this world for all eternity? And when God renews this world, renews the nations, that you will judge the angels that have fallen and corrupted this world? Is that your perspective? Have you been taught that? That's the scripture. That's what this is talking about. We're going to dive into it. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, now he gets, what's the role of the saints? The family of God, all the saints when they gather together. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. That's evil rulers, demonic forces in the heavenly places. Now the kingdom of God through His church around the world is His vessel for bringing about the kingdom work and power to affect things from a spiritual standpoint into this world. What happens to a church, to a bunch of saints whose church is not important? Who they're not unified in a, in a church together. They have no power. They will lose out on God's inheritance for what we're to experience in this life that will have an impact when Jesus comes back. We'll get heavy into that. And here's the last one. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't battle with each other. There's division in the church. Guess who the ultimate source of all that is? The enemy wants to bring all kinds of division. He wants to... A weak, divided church... Is not capable of pushing mountains of darkness behind. A weak and powerless church is, is gonna leave its people in bondage and addiction and depression and everything else and be okay, well, that's just the way life is. And have a low view of the power of God and the power of the gospel, what it can do to save and heal people, right? And to bring radical transformation. And so, Derek, come on up. Just the last question on this, folks, is and this is um I want you to listen carefully to this question. What's holding us back? Because the more I dive into this, even in my own life, I know to be true is, we're Westerners. I I believe probably half of what I just threw out to you this morning, you've never heard. This heavenly places perspective, you've never heard. It's primarily because we're Westerners. We have a secret aversion to the supernatural. To mystical things. And I just ask you, even as a believer, are you uncomfortable with supernatural things? Are you uncomfortable with the things of the Holy Spirit? Is there a secret aversion away from the things of the Spirit, the things of the spiritual realm? Would you rather just have nice, neat church, nice, simple, just life, right? Where there's no like weird stuff going on. Would you rather have that? Because if that's the case, if I'm not open to to whatever God wants to do, right? Realizing that when the supernaturals evolve, when the just read the book of Acts, read the church. Am I open to understand these heavenly blessing, right? And and what is going on? And uh, so I just ask you, what's holding you back? To take the full identity of who you are. Is there a secret aversion to supernatural things? Is there an uncomfort there that's blocking your movement to take hold of all the blessings that we're going to get into in this book? As a saint, a holy one of God, that God has redeemed to walk with him and pour out more and more of his grace right and his mercy. And folks, this is where we lock arms with each other in discipleship and encouragement. Right, and the book of Judas says, Man, come on, church, have mercy on those who doubt. It says, Even those who are dabbling in the thing, grab them out of the snatch, them out of the fire. Right, out of the love of God, we have to pursue each other. And, folks, I'm just going to be clear with you every stat was going on right now in the church in America, there is a great falling away, greater than I think any of us realize. And folks, it's up to us to hold on out of the love of God. Reach out to people. Pull them in. The world is pulling like never before. And we will just lose faith without each other. Without the love of the saints. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And, Lord, may this year blow our minds, God, what you're going to do inside our souls, inside our church, Lord, for your glory. Give us a heart to receive your word, Lord. And Father, restore the love of the saints, Lord. Restore the unity of the Spirit to your people, God. Strengthen us by your power, God. In Jesus' name, amen.